Good. Shalom, everyone. Excellent. All right. You know Hebrew. Wonderful. It is so wonderful to be here with you this evening and to share with you about the Messiah and the Passover and also on this very just overwhelming occasion. Of course, Good Friday, the day that we recognize that Jesus, our Lord and Savior, went to the cross for our sins and would be buried and then would rise again. And so this is just, it's just a blessing to be with you and to be outdoors with you. It's kind of exciting. I mean, who would have known that, you know, being outdoors and and celebrating the Lord in his creation and amongst uh, the nations is a real blessing. So I'm just grateful to be here with you to celebrate this service, this time together. And and I'm just uh, so glad to, to be with you. And I want to thank you in advance for allowing me to come and share with you. Before we get started on the Messiah and the Passover, I just want to briefly tell you a little bit about our ministry. I know many of you already know about Chosen People and you know what we do. Our outreach is to the Jewish people. And I, I love sharing here in, in L.A. County or, you know, because this area, especially Southern California, is home to between San Diego and Santa Barbara, is home to almost a million Jewish people. It's the fourth largest Jewish population on the planet. We rival Jerusalem in terms of population. And so it's just a great blessing to, to share and to be with you, to be with the church that's in this area And especially as we celebrate Good Friday and as we contemplate what Jesus did for us, of course, it's very important that we remember that Jesus is Jewish, that he's also, of course, the son of the living God. He's the son of God and that he came, he died for our sins, he was buried, he rose again, and he came for the nation of Israel as well as for all the nations of the earth. And so part of our testimony, our witness, is to remember to pray for the peace of Jerusalem, to share with Jewish people, both here in L.A. and also all over the world, which is what Chosen People does. We evangelize, disciple, pray for, and serve the Jewish people. And when we go throughout the world to share the good news and do it in a Jewish way using the Hebrew Scriptures as well as the New Testament Scriptures and Jewish traditions like the Seder, which we're going to talk about tonight, we also get to share with different tribes and tongues and ethnicities and backgrounds, like in L.A., which is home to over 100 different people groups and religious backgrounds. And so our ministry does take us to places where we can share with lots of different people, and it's a great blessing. And so we appreciate your prayers, and we're always encouraged when we get to come and share to the church because also our ministry is to help you know more about your Jewish roots, the Jewishness of your faith, as well as minister to the Jewish people in your life, in your world, in your sphere of influence. Now, when you came in, you may have received this brochure. If you'll just go ahead and open it up wide really quickly, you'll see a picture of myself and my wife, Lisa, and our five boys. The first time I came out to Calvary Chapel, they were, I was able to, you know, wrestle them to the ground, and now I don't even... I don't even go near them, but anyway, (laughs) too big and strong for me. But God has really blessed us. They're wonderful young men. Also below, you'll see a little write-up of my testimony, which you can also find on ifoundshalom.com. So here's a brief testimony. There's also ifoundshalom.com, which is 
a number of Jewish testimonies. So if you do have a Jewish family member or a friend, you can point them to that website as well as Isaiah53.com, which will help minister to them. If you go ahead and open up the, the brochure wide, you'll see a card here attached. You can go ahead and, if you want, can make a little bit of noise. You can tear that card off. And you can go ahead, if you want to receive our prayer letter or the International Newsletter for Chosen People Ministries, you can fill that card out and you can either hand it back to me after the service or you can leave it at the table over there. So again, because of the situation we're in, we're not going to be selling books or anything like that, as well as the fact that it is Good Friday and we want to really focus on the Lord. But if you do want to partner with us, Uh, you can fill out that card. But even if you don't want to, that's okay. You do not have to. But I do appreciate you keeping the brochure to remember to pray for us here in Los Angeles, as well as Chosen People Ministries all over the world, both in Israel, Europe, South America, and everywhere where there's a sizable Jewish population. I'm going to go ahead and pray as well. Ask God to bless our time together and encourage us. I, I really hope and pray that as we go through this this Messiah in the Passover, and specifically the Seder, as we use the the Hebrew Scriptures, the New Testament Scriptures, and the Jewish tradition of the Seder, that we would open up our hearts to the Lord. And we would just allow Him to speak to us. Because, you know, the Gospel is not just about saying, I believe, or praying a prayer. It's really, as we walk with Him, as we're filled with the Holy Spirit, as we receive the new covenant promises, it really becomes us. And we we become, we enter in. It's our life. And I I pray that as we allow the the Holy Spirit to speak to us, as Pastor said, and as we contemplate what Jesus did for us when he gave up his life and ultimately rose from the dead, that we we would really hear from heaven and just be excited about the fact that we have something that the world needs and that he wants to use us to just give it away. Give it away to as many people as possible before the end. Let's pray. Abba, Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, that we are here tonight together as one family, one people of God, under the blood of Jesus, through his death, burial, and resurrection, through his gospel that you ordained. And Lord, I pray that as we contemplate and as we consider all that he's done for us, that we would just be filled with joy and peace, even in unique times like this. We would be filled with that peace and we would help others experience that peace as well, that you would use us to allow others to experience that peace. Lord, I pray for the church, the body of Christ this evening. I pray, Lord God, that the church would just continue to be blessed and grow and strengthened. I pray, Lord God, for the nations, especially here in L.A. County, I pray, Lord God, that the nations would hear the gospel and respond. I pray for the fullness of the nations. And Lord, I pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I pray for the Jewish people. I pray that they would see the truth and know and believe and trust in you and follow you. I know that's your heart, Lord, and I pray that for them. And now, Lord, as we look into your word, let us not just be hearers only, but let us By your grace, the power of your spirit, be doers as well. In Jesus' name, amen. 
I'm going to turn to Exodus chapter 12. Exodus chapter 12 is the climactic chapter of the Passover event. Now, Passover is important for us because Passover illustrates God's desire to free his people. In the same way God freed the Israelites from bitter bondage to slavery in Egypt, he also desires to free the nations from the bitter bondage of sin and death. And so that's God's heart. And also, as we first come to this table, we recognize that Jesus himself celebrated the Passover on many occasions and that it would ultimately be the Passover that would be both his last supper before he went to the cross and the Lord's Supper, the meal that he instituted so that we might continue to have that relationship with him and experience him and experience what he's done for us. Exodus chapter 12, starting with verse 1. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt. Notice here that God is speaking in the land of Egypt. God is not just the God of a physical piece of real estate. It's not just the God of the mountains or the God of the valleys. He's the God of all creation. And he speaks where he chooses and he speaks to whom it pleases him. And I do believe that God wants to speak to each one of us tonight. And so I pray and trust he will. Verse 2, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Passover is the biblical new year. Many of you know uh, about the Jewish tradition of Rosh Hashanah, which is in Jewish tradition, the, the new year, and that happens in the fall. But it is the Passover that is the beginning of the year, and it also marks the beginning of the nation of Israel. They went into Egypt as a family, but they are coming out now as a nation before God, as his Am Segulah, his treasured possession, as a royal priesthood. And you and I, when we come to faith in him, we leave our own Egypt. We leave our own Egypt and we come to him under the blood as also a treasured people, a, a royal priesthood. Verse 3, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, Every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons, according to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. And so Passover is celebrated in the home, in the household. And it's, we take great care to organize our home, to consecrate it, and also to set it up for the Passover. And if you think about it, God has a household for each one of us. Whether they don't know the Lord or they do, we are called to care for our household and to seek its consecration and to set it up in a way that's pleasing to God. And so I want us all to be thinking and considering that who is in our household, our sphere of influence that needs to hear the message, that needs discipleship, that needs encouragement now in order to consecrate the home for the passover the main element the main command is to remove the leaven from the household the leaven leaven is yeast it's what makes the bread rise on that night they did not have time to let the bread rise we call this the bread of haste because they were leaving egypt quickly they had been slaves and now they were free and they were leaving and the egyptians wanted them to leave as well 
There's a quote in the scripture that says, we must make them leave quickly, otherwise we will all die. And as they left, the Israelites were given gold and silver and linens and great objects. And those, that gold and silver and those linens would ultimately become part of the tabernacle. The tabernacle of God that they would be called to construct. The place in which God's presence would be for them. But of course, you and I know that in Yeshua, in Jesus, and I sometimes say Yeshua, that's the Hebrew way to say Jesus, it means salvation. In Jesus, we have God's presence in us through the Holy Spirit. And so to remove the leaven, we, we look at Exodus 12, verse 14. It says this, This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord. Throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat matzah, or unleavened bread. On the first day you shall remove the leaven, the yeast, out of your houses. If anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. And so they would remove the leaven from their homes. Now, leaven in the scripture is also a symbol of corruption. And unleavened is a symbol of holiness. And the unleavened would be used in the sacrifices that Israel would be commanded to keep. And so part of this is the removal of the corruption and the eating of the holy, the the incorruptible. And they would eat it for seven days to identify themselves no longer as a slave people, but now as the holy people of God. And so they would go and remove the leaven crumbs, but they would save some crumbs, some final crumbs, and they would wrap it in a napkin and then they would burn it. So the final ceremony is they would take the final crumbs, wrap it and burn it. And then the father with his family gathered around him would say, Lord, I have sought to honor your command to remove the leaven from my home. Please forgive me if I've missed any leaven. Make it as dust of the earth. And we trust that God honors that prayer and that heart. In the same way, Jesus said, beware of the leaven of the religious leaders. He made leaven a picture of sin. And he calls us to remove it far from us. Well, how do we do this? We do it through confession. The scripture says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. And through this confessing, agreeing with God, it helps to mature us and to deliver us and to present us as an even better testimony for him by, of course, grace through the power of his spirit. Once we have removed the leaven from our homes, we've also seeking to remove the leaven from our our own hearts. We have everybody gathered around the table. The father will wear a kippah and the men also a kippah or a yarmulke. It's a Jewish head covering. It is symbolic that man is is finite and that God is infinite. And the one officiating will wear a kittle, a white gown, symbolic of the, the priesthood, because he's a type of high priest officiating the service. And really what we're doing is, see, since 70 AD, the temple was destroyed. We can no longer really fulfill the Passover properly. And so what we do is we're trying to recreate, recreate the Passover celebration without a temple. And so we have the white gown, symbolic of the priesthood. We have the candles reminding us of the menorah. We have the elements we're going to go through, 
especially the lamb bone, reminding us of the sacrifices. We have the table, reminding us of the altar. We have the bread, reminding us of the bread of the presence. And so we are recreating the temple times. And as everybody gathered around and preparing, and we're about to go through the the Seder, and Seder is a Hebrew word, it means order, and so we're about to go through the telling of the Passover event, the order. We use the Haggadah, which is a Jewish prayer book, tells all the rites, rituals, and customs, and we put everything on the Seder plate so that everything can be done in order. Incidentally, if you run into a Hebrew-speaking Jewish person, and they say, how are you? You can say, there," which means in order or fine. It's a typical American response, right? Fine. Anyway, and as everybody's gathered around, the first thing we would do is light the candles. And I'm going to go ahead and ask Sally if she will come up. There she is, and light our candles. I, it's okay if they don't stay lit, but at least we'll light them ceremonially. So don't worry about that. I know it's a little windy. Yeah, <laughs> They light it all. It's okay. So it's always the woman or the mother or a daughter of the household that lights the candles. We'll try it again. We're going to try to see if we can get them lit. If not, it's okay. Uh, And as as the mom would light the candles, we would bless them. And in the lighting of the candles and all the festivals would have a candle being lit. I don't think it's going to happen. Okay. We'll try it one more time. Third time's a charm. Okay, well, we're going to, they probably would have blown out, so we're good. We're, but we've lit the candles. Thank you, Sally. And it's always a mom or a woman or a daughter that would light the candles because they've done the heavy lifting to prepare. And candles are always lit before a festival, whether it's a weekly Shabbat or an annual feast. And that's to separate the profane and to usher in the holy. But we're also reminded when we light these candles of the great prophecy in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, when it said, Behold, the virgin, the young woman, shall conceive and bring forth a child, and we shall call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. And so the same way a woman brings forth the light of the Passover, it is through a woman that brings forth the light of the world, Jesus. And his light will separate the profane from the holy. And so we want to stand in his light always. Once that is done, we then look at the four cups. Now, on the Seder, at the Seder, we would go ahead and drink four cups throughout the night. And these cups remind us of the four I wills found in Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. The first I will, I will separate you from the Egyptians, the cup of sanctification. And this cup would begin the Passover. The second cup is the cup of deliverance or the cup of plagues, reminding us that God delivered them with an outstretched armor, with ten powerful signs and wonders. The third cup, the cup of redemption. This is the cup that is especially read read because it reminds us of the sacrifices during temple times, the cup of redemption. And then the fourth cup, the cup of acceptance. I accept you to be my people. And in the same way, these four cups remind us of God's heart for Israel. It also reminds us of his heart for you and for me, because through Jesus, we have been sanctified, delivered, redeemed and accepted. And so we would pick up the first cup, the cup of sanctification, and we would bless it. 
Baruch Atadonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Borei Prihagafen Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. And then we would drink. And this would begin the, the Passover, the Seder would begin. The festival is welcomed with the lights. It begins with the blessing of the first cup. As I said to you earlier, Jesus celebrated the Passover throughout his public ministry and really throughout his life. He was a, a devout, observant Jewish man. He followed the law perfectly. And so he celebrated the Passover. And that made it very important to me as a Jewish man growing up, a Jewish person growing up. I didn't come to faith until I was 23. And one of the great witnesses for me was that Jesus is Jewish and that he celebrated Passover. He lived in Israel. He had a Jewish mother and father. And that he too loved the Jewish people as I did and do. Now, but even more than that, in Luke 22, starting with verse 14, we see that Jesus celebrated the Passover as his last supper, and also he would institute it as the Lord's Supper. Luke 22, verse 14. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table with the apostles with him. We eat the Passover reclining on pillows, because in Jewish tradition, to recline is to be free. And so we remember our freedom. And Jesus is also reclining because of what he's going to do. In the same way the Israelites recline because they're free from slavery in Egypt, we can recline spiritually because we have been freed from sin and from death. And no matter how difficult things get, we have that confidence of our eternal life and the abundant life that Jesus wants to live in us and through us. Verse 15, he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. That word suffer is a very important word because for three and a half years, Jesus had a public ministry and he fulfilled messianic prophecy. He did signs and wonders and he lived a sinless life. But now at his last supper, which is a Passover meal, he was, his ministry would be changing to the ministry of the suffering servant found in Isaiah chapter 53, because from this point on, he would be betrayed, he would be arrested, he would be beaten, scourged, humiliated, and crucified for our sins. And that's really coinciding with what we're celebrating here tonight. And in doing so, he would fulfill between, between his betrayal and his resurrection, he would fulfill at least 21 significant messianic prophecies that provide an incredible amount of evidence for any honest seeker to look at, to see, and to believe. And Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4, when he said, Christ died according to the scriptures. He was buried and raised from the dead according to the scriptures. And those scriptures he's talking about is the scriptures of the Hebrew Bible. The Bible, the, what we often call the Old Testament, what the Jewish people call the Tanakh. And in those scriptures, there are powerful Messianic prophecies. And just in this, like I said, this last 
72 hours between his betrayal and between his resurrection, there are at least a minimum of 21 powerful Messianic prophecies that clearly detail the events of his passion and his resurrection. And so Jesus' ministry was changing to the suffering servant. He says, For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And when he took a cup, then he had given thanks, just as we've done. He said, Take this and divide it among yourselves, for I tell you that from now on, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And so Jesus began his Passover and his passion with the blessing of a cup. He also talks about the kingdom. And he says in the cup, he says it's also his kingdom is beginning to be revealed. And he says, divide it amongst yourselves to his disciples, his apostles, talking about the cup. Jesus has a cup for each one of us. And he wants to divide it amongst his followers to continue the mission. See, Jesus at his last supper, his Lord's supper, he's also showing his intention, his mission, which he will also reveal again after his resurrection, to go into all the world, to make disciples, teaching, baptizing in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them everything that he's commanded. And so we're called to make disciples, and he is dividing up that that work amongst each generation and each one of us. And so again, I encourage you and in, in some way affirm his heart to use each one of us, myself and all of you, to help satisfy the kingdom commission, the great commission to go make disciples in his name. And so Jesus has begun his Passover. He's revealed his intention, his desire, and his ministry is changing. As we look back at the Seder, the next item is we're going to wash our hands. We would wash our hands twice at the Seder. Once with a blessing and once without. The first time is without a blessing. The second time, which would be before the meal, would be with a blessing. I'm going to go ahead and say the blessing here as well. So that way... um, in case I forget, you'll have heard the blessing too. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who sanctifies us by thy commandments and commands us to wash our hands. But we're not sanctified by his commandments, as that prayer says, and as Jewish tradition relates. We are sanctified by his blood, by his gospel. And so we are reminded, too, of how we are sanctified and how we are washed clean. Also, at this point, when he's washing the feet of the disciples in John 13, when we wash our hands, it may very well be the time when he begins to wash the feet of his disciples prior to his Passover in the Gospel of John. Next, we come back and we look at our Seder plate. We are ready to go through the Seder plate. And the first thing we would do is take the parsley, the leafy green vegetable or herb, symbolic of life and symbolic of the Israelite harvest season, which is beginning. So the green vegetable and the Israelite harvest coincides with the Passover, the beginning of it. And we would take the green herb or vegetable and we would dip it in salt water. 
reminding us of the tears shed in Egypt because a life of slavery is a life of tears and a life of slavery to sin is also a life of tears. Back in Exodus chapter 12, verse 21, we see an even greater significance of this dipping. Exodus 12, verse 21. Then Moses called all the elders of Israel and said to them, Go and select lambs for yourselves according to your clans and slay the Passover lamb. Take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and touch the lentil and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until morning. For the Lord will pass through to strike the Egyptians and when he sees the blood on the lintel and on the two doorposts, the Lord will Pesach or pass over the door and will not allow the destroyer to enter your houses to strike you. Incidentally, that word Passover, the passing over the door is where we get the name of this feast, Passover. And this is the Hebrew way to say it. And so on that night, they would take the hyssop, big, bushy, weedy plant growing along the Nile, and they would have dipped it into the blood of that slain, unblemished lamb. And then they would apply it to the lentil, the big, heavy wood beam above the door. And then the door posts about shoulder high. And we see an image of how Jesus would die when he would be stretched out over heavy wooden beams. Not only an image, but we would see the method of his execution because they did not apply the blood to dirt or stone or even pour it out at an altar. They applied it to the heavy wood beams of the doorposts and the lentils. And we see the method because he would die for us on a Roman cross, heavy wood beams. But we also see the means of our salvation because on that night when the destroyer marched through Egypt, When he saw the blood, he passed over the door and they went from slavery to new life with the Lord. And in the same way, when you and I, by grace through faith, apply his blood to the doorposts and lentils of our heart. Sin and death come, see the blood by grace through faith, pass over and we enter into abundant eternal life with Jesus. And so we see how we are saved. Fifteen hundred years prior to the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, prior to his death on the cross, we see the means and the method of our salvation at the Passover, the original Passover in the book of Exodus. After that, we look at the unleavened bread, the matzah. In Jewish tradition, we would go ahead and house the unleavened bread in a three-compartment matzah or matzah pouch. Now, why is it three compartments? Well, in Jewish tradition, we say that these three compartments remind us of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He's the father of the Jewish faith. He's also, in many ways, the father of our faith as well, because he is the the father of faith, as is said in Romans chapter 4. And so we acknowledge the great patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, by having this three-compartment matzah pouch or matzah tosh. Okay, that makes sense. But then why do we take out the middle matzah? And so at this point in the Seder, we would take out the middle matzah. And we would break it in two. So we're breaking Isaac in two. And we would wrap this piece in a white napkin. 
Incidentally, this new half a piece is called afikomen. It's a Koine Greek word. It means the one that comes last or the dessert. And we would go ahead and bury it away, hide it until after the meal when it would be brought back by the father. So if we go back to our tradition, we broke Isaac in two. He's a nice Jewish boy. He didn't hurt anybody. He did go to the altar of sacrifice, but he was spared. So why break Isaac in two? I think our tradition breaks down. See, I think a better explanation of this three-compartment matzotash is that it reminds us of the very nature of God. One pouch, three compartments. One God, three persons. Then when we take out the middle piece, and notice without yeast, without sin, we see a picture of the incarnation. When the Son left, the communion with the Father and the Holy Spirit and put on human flesh yet without sin. We also see the modern baking process for matzah, striped, pierced, and bruised. And so, of course, Jesus would be striped, pierced, and bruised and fulfilling Psalm 22, verse 16, Isaiah 53, verse 5, and Zechariah 12, 10, to name a few. Then he would be wrapped in white, Linen, buried, and of course Isaiah 53 verse 9 says that he was buried in a rich man's tomb and then brought back, and in the same ways brought back, Jesus was brought back from the dead by the Father as prophesied in Psalm 16 verse 10 and Isaiah 53 verse 10 as well. And so on this table, through this matzah pouch, which nobody really knows why it's up here, we see a picture of the incarnation, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, the gospel itself right here. And because this piece that we hid away is called afikom in a Koine Greek word, it may very well be a 2,000-year-old tradition sovereignly put there by God to witness to the Jewish people and, of course, to witness to us as well of the gospel of Yeshua, Jesus, our Messiah. Once we've, we've done that, we come back and we pick up the second cup, the cup of deliverance, the cup that reminds us of the ten plagues. Now, in Jewish tradition, a full cup means full joy. But we cannot take full joy in this cup because this cup reminds us of the destruction of Egypt and we wish they would have repented, but they didn't. And so we take out 10 drops from the cup, one drop for each of the plagues. Then we can bless it, then we drink it. In the same way, we're reminded of what Jesus said, that we're to love our enemies, to bless those who curse us, to pray for those who spitefully use us. You know, when Jesus was on the cross, he was being mocked really throughout his ordeal. And he basically said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And so it's a powerful reminder for us as well. And so then, after we've taken out our ten drops, we can bless the cup, Baruch and then we can drink it as well. Rabbi Gamaliel, the man who trained the Apostle Paul in Pharisaical Judaism, he also weighed in at the Passover. And he said, unless you discuss the three essentials of the Passover, you have not fulfilled it. What are those three essentials? The lamb, the bitter herbs, and the unleavened bread. 
the lamb. In Jewish tradition, we no longer eat lamb on the first night of Passover because the temple is destroyed. But we do have a bone, and it's the shank bone, because this area is where Jacob was touched, and he was made lame when he wrestled with the angel, and he was given a new name from Jacob to Israel. And so we have the shank bone of a lamb at the table. In Exodus 12, starting with verse 3, we see special significance to this sacrifice. Exodus 12, verse 3 says this. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the tenth day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's house, a lamb for a household. So they would bring it on the tenth day. The tenth day, they would select the lamb. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, he entered Jerusalem on the tenth of Nisan, the tenth day of the month. And so just as they were selecting that lamb in the household, Jesus was being brought forth through the triumphal entry. And just as that lamb would be tested to make sure it was without spot or blemish, Jesus too was being tested to make sure he was the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Verse 5 says, Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month. Then the whole assembly of the congregation shall kill the lamb at twilight. So they would keep it for four days. And then at twilight, right before sundown, just like this, twilight, maybe a smidge earlier, probably when we started, they would kill the lamb and apply its blood to the doorposts and to the lentil. Verse 7, you shall take some of the blood and apply it to the two doorposts and the lentil of the houses in which you eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs, along with its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until morning. Anything that remains until morning, you shall burn. And so they took that lamb, and in the offering it as a sacrifice, and applying its blood to the doorpost and lintel, it becomes a foreshadowing of the sin offering. But then they would take it and they would eat the meat. And in eating the meat, it becomes the peace offering. They ate it with unleavened bread. And the unleavened bread foreshadows that grain offering that Israel would be commanded to keep. And then whatever was not eaten would be completely roasted by fire. None of it would be left over. And that would be the burnt or worship offering. And then as they ate this meal and left under the blood through the, through the, the Red Sea... They were being transformed. Their transgressions and iniquities were forgiven. They were being transformed. And so this is also the transgression, the transformation offering. And so all of the five sacrifices that Israel would be commanded to keep in the book of Leviticus is foreshadowed in this special sacrifice of the Passover lamb. In the same way, Jesus came to the waters of baptism and John said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He dwelt among us in a three and a half year public ministry. And then when he entered Jerusalem, he spent four days and he was being tested to make sure he was without spot, without blemish. And then in the prime of his life, he was cut off from the land of the living without physical offspring and his blood poured out for you, your sins and for mine. And he becomes our sin offering. But he's much more than that. The scripture says that we now have peace with God 
through our Lord Jesus Christ. He's our peace offering. The Bible also says we can go boldly before the throne of grace. He is our worship offering. Scripture reminds us that Jesus is the bread of life and that in him we have abundant life. And so he is our grain offering, our bread offering. And also he is our transgression offering because in the forgiveness of all of our transgressions and iniquities, you and I are transformed from our old person into a new creation. And so Jesus satisfies the sacrifices that Israel was commanded to keep and fulfills the foreshadowing that the Passover lamb presents. He is the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Next, we have the bitter herbs. The bitter herbs remind us of the bitterness of slavery. And we too, we're reminded of what Jesus said. In this world, we will have tribulation, but to take heart, Jesus has overcome the world. Because we don't eat lamb on the first night of Passover, we have this haroset, wonderful apple honey walnut mixture. And this mixture reminds us of the brick and the mortar that was used to build the storehouses for Pharaoh. Now, why is something that tastes so good remind us of something as awful as the brick and the mortar? And that's because even in their most bitter slavery, it was the hope of deliverance that made their life sweet. And in the same way, we do suffer and have difficulties and we're living in unique times. But let's remember it's through Yeshua, through Jesus, that we can overcome, persevere and overcome, both in the abundant life that he desires to provide through him, through obedience, and also through eternal life in him. We're also commanded to eat the haroset, the apples with the bitter herbs, and the matzah. We eat the apples instead of the lamb to fulfill Exodus chapter 12, verse 8. That's called the korech, the sandwich. And in doing so, we are harking on ourselves back to eating that meal back in biblical times, back when those first Israelites left Egypt under that blood, under that blood as a new people. And this kind of foreshadows also the eating of the bread and the drinking of the cup foreshadowing really or fulfilling God's desire to eat with us under the blood as a new people moving into a relationship with him. And so we also would then pick up the brown egg, the brown egg reminding us of the temple. It's brown reminding us of the temple's destruction. It's an egg reminding us of renewal or resurrection. And so we are reminded that the egg, that the temple was destroyed. But where our hope is that one day or the Jewish hope is one day that that temple will be rebuilt and that sacrifices can be offered. But for you and me, we're reminded of what Jesus said in John chapter two, verse 18. He said, if you he said, if you destroy this body, meaning his body in three days, it will rise again. And so we can look at the brown egg and we're reminded that Jesus died literally at Passover. He died right at right before sundown on that Passover, on that hill at Golgotha, at Calvary. But he rose from the dead at the feast of first harvest or oftentimes first fruits three days later. And so we can look at this egg and say Jesus died for our sin and then he rose He rose again, rose from the dead. And in doing so, he also 
delivers us from sin and from death and we have a new nature in him. We no longer have that old nature that perishes. We now have a new nature and we also have a promise of a new body at his return. We then would hold up the unleavened bread and this is also where we would wash our hands that second time and say the blessing and we would then hold up the unleavened bread right before the meal and we would say this is the bread of affliction. All who are hungry, come and take of this bread. And we would bless the bread and eat it and begin the festive meal. And we are also reminded that Jesus is the afflicted one. He's the one who came. And tonight we are reminded more than really any other night that he was afflicted for our sins and our transgressions and our iniquities. And that through him we have forgiveness of sin and eternal life. And we want to both through our lives and in our speech, hold him up to a world that so desperately needs him. And so we're reminded that he is afflicted for us. Then after we eat the meal, we return to the afikomen. We find the afikomen. It's brought back by the Father. We take pieces the size of an olive. We bless it and we eat it. And this would be the last thing that we would eat at the Passover. We then take the third cup, the cup of redemption, the cup, again, that the rabbis say is especially red because this cup, more than any other, reminds us of those sacrifices, those lambs that were sacrificed during temple times. We bless it and we drink it. In Luke chapter 22, as I've already alluded to, Jesus gave new significance to this bread and this cup. Luke 22, verse 19. He took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise, the cup, after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. And so Jesus took this Jewish table and this Feast of Israel, and he made it a table for all the nations, all the the nations, and he made it a feast for every tribe and tongue. And this is where we get the Lord's Supper. It was at a Passover, at his last supper, that he would institute his new covenant by taking of the unleavened bread at his body and drinking the cup As his blood, we are reminded that he gave himself for us and he provides us with the blood for the forgiveness of sins and also a new covenant, a Brit Hadashah, one that he would write on our hearts and our minds through the Holy Spirit. So let's go ahead and do what the Apostle Paul said at this time and have our own communion with Jesus. Let's take a moment and examine ourselves. So grab your communion, your cup, and your your bread and your cup, and take a moment, examine yourselves, and we'll take it together. Now, what are we examining? First, are you in the faith? Have you confessed with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead? I would encourage you to do that first before you take the bread and the cup. You can do that right now. You can just in the quietness of your heart, 
You can say, Lord Jesus, I confess that you died for my sins, that I'm a sinner, that I needed your death, burial, and resurrection to free me from sin and free me from this life, that I might be a new creation in you. So that's the first thing. The second, as we examine ourselves, is now is a good time if you are battling with a sin struggle, if you are battling maybe with an addiction, or you're just battling with a nagging issue that you just want victory over. It doesn't have to be anything major. Just something that you're saying, Lord, I open my heart to you and I, I seek you and you alone for victory. And remember, he says, if we confess that sin to him, he's faithful and just to forgive you, to cleanse you. And whether you think you're forgiven or not, he has cleansed you and forgiven you. So examine yourself. If there is something just in the quietness of your heart, agree with him for victory. And I don't want to be misunderstood. Don't let it prohibit you. Just release it to him. And then the third thing we can be examining ourselves. Is what does God have for you? Through his spirit. Through the gospel ministry. Where's God calling you? Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a neighbor. Maybe it's a, a personal ministry. Maybe it's a ministry in the church. Maybe it's to another country. Let God speak to you or a people group. Let him speak to you or another religious group and encourage you and let that process evolve. Let that process grow in your heart. So we're going to take a moment, examine ourselves or anything else the Lord is doing in your life. So again, it was on that night that Yeshua was betrayed. He took the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. As often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And he took the cup. And he said, this is the cup of the new covenant. This is my blood poured out for you. And remember, too, that it was at a Passover that these things happen. So I'm going to bless the bread. We'll take it. And then I'll bless the cup. And we'll take it together. First, the unleavened bread, the matzah. Baruch atadonai Eloheinu melech haolam Hamotzi lechem min haaretz Amen. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, who brings forth bread from the earth and has given us 
Yeshua, Jesus, the bread of life. Lord, we take this believing everything you say about yourself and about us in you. We honor you, Lord, this evening. We want to eat of your body. We want to know you. We want to do your will by your grace, through the power of your spirit, through faith, Lord. Give us the faith to do what you've called us to do. Bless and encourage each person here, Lord God. Let us just take in the word of life, the divine Lagos, the son of the living God, the Messiah, the Redeemer, our Creator. In him we praise you, Lord. We thank you. Amen. Take. Blessed are you, Lord our God, King of the universe, creator of the fruit of the vine. Thank you, Lord, that by your blood we have reconciliation. Our sins are forgiven. And you have given us a, a new covenant, a Brit Hadashah, in which we can live with you forever and have eternal abundant life. Thank you, Lord. May each person's life be filled with joy, even in midst of any difficulties. May we know the joy always of a full cup. And may we experience your blessings and your promises. And may your Holy Spirit guide us in all truth. Encourage us and strengthen and empower us, Lord, for all that you call us. And I thank you, Lord, that there is no temptation that has overtaken us, such as common man. But you're faithful, Lord. To deliver us and you're also faithful lord that anything you give us we can do in you thank you and praise you in yeshua's name amen take and drink we then point as we've experienced the lord and his ministry to us and for us and through us, we then look to the future. To the future. There is a future. And we can have confidence in this future. The future coming of the Lord Jesus. We look at this extra place setting here and this cup. For Eliyahu Hanavi, Elijah the prophet, because Elijah is to come first and prepare the way for the Messiah. And Jesus said, that John the Baptist came in the spirit of Elijah for all who would accept it. And so we can raise the Elijah's cup on high and say Elijah has come, Messiah has come. And in the same way, we also know that Elijah is coming again to prepare the way for the Lord's coming to establish his kingdom and to give us a new heaven and new earth. And so we can also raise the Elijah's cup on high and say, Elijah's coming, Messiah's coming. That is his promise. And we can trust and believe in that. After that, we would read Psalm 117. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His mercies forever endure. And we know, we believe, we trust, and we've experienced these mercies enduring for us. 
Then we look to the fourth cup. As we conclude the Seder, we conclude the Passover, and we conclude our remembering, our reminiscing, and our experiencing the death, the burial, the resurrection, the life of Jesus, and what he has done, the gospel. We take that fourth cup that says, I accept you to be my people. We bless it, and we drink it. Baruch Atadonai, Eloheinu Melech HaOlam, and in doing so, we would conclude the Seder. And we trust and know that Jesus, again, he will conclude his ultimate Seder when he comes again. And he has an order to which he is doing things. And we know it, we believe it, and we're grateful. Just like he, go, he went to the cross, he was buried, he rose from the dead, then he partook with his disciples for about 40 days then he ascended 10 days later came the holy spirit the ministry went to the nations we know that he's coming back soon and we look forward to that day and until then we look forward to the ministry that he has for us as we conclude i just want you to remember what you see here tonight roughly one percent of the jewish people all over the world see that means 99 percent do not yet know and so I want to just encourage you that as you go back to your household, your spheres of influence, the ministry that God has called you to, please remember to pray for the Jewish people, both in Los Angeles and all over the world, that they would see and know what you know, that Jesus is the Messiah. And now I'm going to conclude with the Aaronic benediction. And then, of course, the worship team will come and play a final uh, worship song for us. So if you'll all stand. This is the way Aaron, the high priest, would have closed out his ministry with the Israelites in the wilderness. <clears throat> From Numbers chapter 6, verse 24 to 26. Yivarecha Ya'er Adonai panavalecha vichunecha Yisadonai panavalecha Yisemlecha shalom May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord lift up His face upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His shalom, His peace, and may you just go forth in the joy of the Lord. May you look and may you have a wonderful, blessed Resurrection Sunday. May you experience the power of the Holy Spirit. Same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is alive in you and me for all who believe. Thank you, Lord. Bless you. Shalom. Thank you again. It's my privilege to be with you this evening. Thank you. Thank you.